Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 152. I'll be interviewing Celeste Headley in the body of this episode. Um, She's the author of a great new book called Do Nothing. You'll find out a little more about that later in this episode. But one of my favorite lines from her book is that Idleness is not laziness, that there is a distinction between the two. And so, Sarah, I'm curious, what are your favorite forms of idleness? Not laziness. We don't, we don't, Sarah doesn't do laziness, but uh, what, are, what are your favorite forms of idleness? Okay. First of all, I take issue with the idea that I do not do laziness. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think everyone does laziness sometimes, right? When you're tired and, you know, part of being very go, go, go a lot of the time means that there may be a lazy backlash sometimes and I'm okay with that. (laughs) So, um, okay. I did send you a lovely list. I will just go through that. Number one, reading on the couch with a blanket and treat, ideally, that somehow adds to the idleness. If I really, you know, not just those few pages snuck in while the kids are playing, but like, let's say the kids are watching a movie or fully occupied and I'm just like, this is my time and just like lean into it. Number two, probably should be number one because it's the best. Naps. Naps. (laughs) Naps are good. 
particularly on the weekends, a lot of times I will still get up early to do my workout, but knowing in my head that when Genevieve takes a nap, I will also take a nap. So that's how I can stay up a little bit later on the weekends, but still kind of get my morning routine in. So I really enjoy naps. Currently, I'm in love with playing with my new bullet journal and it's like totally coloring and way more neat and elaborate than it needs to be. And I recognize that like if I were kidding myself to say that you needed to have a journal that looked like this to live a functional life, it would be ridiculous. But it's totally relaxing. (laughs) So I actually count that as idleness. When I'm sitting there just coloring in squares and making little trackers and amusing myself with that. There's like sort of the more social kinds of idleness, like just drinking wine with Josh in the evenings if the kids are otherwise occupied, or perhaps back in the day when you could actually like hang out with friends. (laughs) (laughs) Those days. Yes. And then I did write my favorite alone idle afternoon on a vacation, which actually happened in March, right before everything happened was we were in Amelia Island and I was with Josh on a work trip, his work trip, not my work trip. So I didn't have anything to do. And I went and got a massage and then walked down the little cute little square and got ice cream and then went and read in my hotel room. And that was probably like one of the top afternoons <laughs> that I've had in a long time. Sounds so, great. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Well, yeah, l- I like to lie on my back porch. Um, we have a couch back there that's under the cover on, you know, so a seat on the porch and it's, you can see the backyard. Even if it's raining, you can be out there, lie there and read. Ideally with some sort of nice beverage <laughs> in the morning, it'd be coffee, evening, wine or beer. So that's probably my favorite, although I have been on on occasion soaking in our tub. So we did a master bathroom renovation two years ago to put a new tub in, among other things, that it's definitely a a nice tub and I wanted to experience it and not just have it sit there. So because it's there, I'm like, okay, I got to use it. (laughs) So I will sit in there and read and again, have have a glass of something. The the one issue with this is that a lot of my reading material is currently on my phone because, you know, I borrow ebooks from the library or buy ebooks since there's no real good way to, you know, go get books from the library. I'm like petrified that I'm going to drop the phone in the bathtub with me. And then is it your phone waterproof? Is it? (laughs) I've I've lost the phone in the past. What is your phone? What is your current phone? The iPhone, like, um, you know, whatever the year and a half ago one I, is. That's probably waterproof. It's probably waterproof. Any of, the, any of the ones that have like no real headphone jack oh, and require okay. a connector, exactly where it goes. Uh-huh. you could actually drop that in the pool and be... Now, nobody's allowed to like sue me if their phone breaks. <laughs> I would say, everyone, go drop your phones in the pool. <laughs> Disclaimer, <laughs> I am not an electronics issue, but you may want to look that up because maybe your fear is actually unfounded. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then I don't have to like hold it way over to the side. Well, I'm trying to read. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's that's what I do. How's how's life going in general? Uh, you know, as we are. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we te- we've recorded the last few weeks ahead of time, so mm-hmm. I felt kind of bad because stuff was happening, and I'm like, well, we didn't really talk about any of that stuff. But this is one of those rare episodes where everyone's going to get to listen to it just a couple of days after we're talking. So this should be up to date unless something crazy happens. You know, life is okay. Like, still feeling pretty personally lucky about our situation, that everyone's staying healthy, that we're both able to still work. 
I am on kind of like still this permanent mini furlough kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Although my husband's like, it's not because you're getting paid. So they're just having us use one paid time off day every pay period. So you can't keep banking them. Correct. Because our institution actually pays you for those. So Mm -hmm. I think they they don't want people to like get a big bonus, basically, if, if there is not as much work to do, which... I don't know how true that actually is, but it's working out fine actually right now. And I've sort of leaned into it a little bit. So I'm off every single week. Kids are doing school. We can talk more about that on a future episode. I don't know. I'm just like very, very day by day. Like each day, focus on my little routines, focus on what's going well. And it's been okay. We are in a surge though, like in Florida. So that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll hopefully... Go down. I mean, what can we say? Surges go up and then eventually surges go down. down. Someday someday it has to go down. You're right. One way or the other. One way or the other. It's going to go down. So, yeah. I'd like to think we're we're past it. We had our surge early, you know, with the whole Northeast. And now we've gone way down. I mean, the number of total positive tests in Pennsylvania has been hovering about 500. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we had a lot more than that through yeah. March and April That's and like May. Our daily county positives has been around 500. Yeah. yeah. The state is more like 5,000 right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, this is so unpredictable. Like, and it's silly because this is a podcast. So we're only going to look foolish by like <laughs> trying to predict the future. I mean, you could be surging in three weeks and be like, haha, that was funny. But you know what? Day by day. Today day by is day. okay. Day by day. We're healthy. It's all good. And hopefully you are too listening exactly. to this. All right. Well, let's hear from Celeste. Well, Celeste, thank you so much for joining us and for being very patient with my technological challenges. Uh, Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Celeste Headley. I have been a journalist and anchor uh, with National Public Radio for more than 20 years. I have two books first one called We Need to Talk, and the most recent one is Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. Which sounds like we all need to do, and we will definitely talk about that during this episode. <laughs> um, but you, know, you had been building your career in, in public radio and sort of going along day to day. Was it 2015, you gave a talk? Right. So I gave tell a, us about that. Yeah, I gave a TEDx <laughs> talk that frankly, I did not think anyone would find interesting except me. I mean, just honestly, because when you talk about conversation, people's eyes glaze over. You know, it's one of those soft skills that when you get called into communication training at work, you're like, oh my God. (laughs) I did not think it would spark any interest, but I was interested in it. And then it, it went super viral. I mean, I think it's like 19 million views or something, um, which was a shock. So my life has changed since 2015, mostly because of that. Well, what do you think people found so interesting about it that they wanted to, you know, listen to it and then also share it with friends? I don't know that I have an answer for that. I will say that I I find it um, encouraging that that many people have viewed it. I think it means that that people are recognizing that there's a problem and that they're Google, they're putting in a Google search of how do I have better conversations and then my TED talk comes up, right? Like, so I think that's a good thing. It means that people recognize something's going wrong. Why it went viral? Because there's a ton of great talks and other things out there, resources on conversation. I, I don't really know. The jokes, 
<laughs> You're just a particularly wonderful person to watch give the speech, and so that's that's how it does. But so after you're doing this, you're you're invited to speak everywhere. You know, lots of stuff going on with that, and and so so how did that go? I mean, how did that change how your life went? Well, at first, I was trying to make it change my life as little as possible. Like I assumed all of this was going to be a flash in the pan and I would have a year or two of getting good speaking gigs. Then I'd go back to my regular job as a journalist. So I basically tried to just fit in all of those speeches into my regular work days, you know, and I just take my vacation day and fly out to Houston and give a talk and come back the next day and go back to work. But it, it wasn't a flash in the pan. It Eventually, it just it got so busy with talks. I had to uh, I couldn't do the full time job anymore. So I quit my job. I became self employed. I thought that would make me less busy. (laughs) (laughs) Those of us who are self employed are sort of laughing right now. Yes, yes. You guys could have warned me that did not work out as intended. (laughs) And I kind of reached this crisis of the soul in in late. 2017, when I just realized, you know, something, something's got to give. And that's where the research for the most current book started. And the book for our listeners, again, is called Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. And you, you talk about it in this that, you know, you, you thought that making more money was going to help you enjoy life more and have time for these things that you had not been able to do in the past when you're you know, working paycheck to paycheck. But it turns out there's possibly even the reverse of that. Uh, and you talk about how the more money you make, the more you feel like you have no time to waste. Yeah. What's, what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, first of all, there was a few things going on. Number one, it's that the offers would get better. The more offers I turned down, the higher the prices went. So then it it would reach this point where you're like, well, I can't turn down (laughs) that amount of money. Like, how dumb am I that they're going to pay me that much to give one speech, right? So then you don't turn them down. There's that. I mean, obviously, as you start to make more money, it then requires more management, right? You then need more help. Then you need a brand manager and a PR rep and all this other staff and then the management of that staff becomes right so then you're not an LLC anymore i mean you're not even just a, a business declared business then you're the LLC and then LLC isn't going to cut it anymore then you need to become an S corp and it just escalates and believe me i'm not whining over oh poor me i'm making so much money more money it's just that my whole life having been broke I was a public radio reporter and part-time opera singer. Okay, I was broke. <laughs> N- neither of those are known as exactly. like and high, single high mother. Yes, right. yes. I might well, mention yeah. that too. Yes. So, having been broke my whole life, I had just I had all these ideas about what it would look like, what my life would look like when I had enough money. And I thought I would have time. You know, I thought I would learn to play the guitar and travel to Mallorca and <laughs> Um, visit all my friends at least once a year, right? I had all these plans and none of that came true. None of it. I had less time than I had before. Yeah. And so unless your friend is in Houston as you're giving the speech, exactly. uh, it's just kind of out of luck there. And and you talk about how some of this is, is historic too, that, you know, people worked obviously very hard in the past. And you talk about your relations and, and family tree. You come from a long line of, of hard workers. And people want to Google Celeste's extended family if you want to learn more about that. But the side 
Yeah, they're amazing. Music people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they still had some time for these leisure pursuits. Uh, so, so what was going on with that? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, right? There was one day when I came home from work and I was just exhausted and I flopped down on the couch and I was like, and I looked toward my kitchen. I thought there is no way I am making a meal from scratch tonight. I do not have it in me. And I just happened to let my gaze rest on my microwave. And I just started realizing, you know, my grandmother and great grandmother, they didn't they did not have a microwave. Oh, and they probably didn't have that dishwasher or that in-sync disposal or that robot vacuum in the corner. Or, And I started going around my house, adding up all of the things that I owned that saved me time. Because you're right, my, my grandmother, she belonged to the Rotary Club and the Lions Club. And they had, you know, they'd go on a vacation and then they invite all the, the neighbors over to look at their slides. And <laughs> they did card, they played card games on Friday nights and she jarred all of her own uh, fruit and pickles and made her own jam and all these other things that they did. And I started thinking, how did she have the time? And then if you go back to my great-grandmother getting ice in blocks from an ice man that came by, you know, so she could slide it into a, a wooden box to try and keep her food fresh, I just began to really wonder, where is my time going, right? I really should have a lot more time. I mean, and frankly, you haven't mentioned it yet, but I quote you in this book and I refer to your book because this is exactly the field that you're working in is this idea that we're, it's a true feeling, this feeling that we're overwhelmed. It is true, but it's not based on reality, if that makes sense, right? We really do feel overwhelmed and there's good reason for us to feel that way, but it's not actually based on our being too busy. We have more free time than we think. So Celeste cites, yes, she said for our listeners, some of my research and other people pointing out that, yeah, we we may not be quite as busy as we think. And, you know, so we have this feeling and yet you've tracked your time and, you know, you there is some time there. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously a very busy person, but there's there's some time there. Is it that because there are competing things is because our phones, I mean, w there's options for all these minutes. I mean. What what leads to this gap between perception and reality? You know, there's a lot of different factors, but I can mention the few biggest ones. Um, number one is that we're living in a distracted society, right? Psychologists say we have this constant absent presence, um, meaning that we're here, but we're not actually mentally here. We're constantly distracted. And that takes a real toll on your brain. That the attempts to multitask, which again, the human being can't multitask, but the attempt to multitask will wear you out mentally and actually physically. So every time you get that shot of dopamine, for example, when you open your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed, every time you check your email and you get that tiny little shot of dopamine, it makes you feel more productive, but it actually is not accomplishing more for you. And yet it's wearing you out. If you're getting that dopamine shot all day long, you will end up being exhausted by the end of the day. The other thing is that we're not taking actual breaks. 
So most people, they'll get like 10 or 15 minutes. And what do they do? They wander into the break room or something and they'll be scanning through their phone the whole time. But your, your brain does not distinguish between shopping for boots on Zappos and, and actual work. You may think there's a distinction, but your brain and body certainly don't. So as far as your brain and body are concerned, you are still working. And so therefore, if you spend your entire day staring at these screens that are overloading your brain circuits, yes, you will feel more tired by the end of the day, but you probably haven't accomplished more. And there's an interesting gender dimension to this that you write about as well, that men may be more likely to take an actual break during the workday, and women may be more likely to use what would have been a break to do some you know, household or personal task that they're trying to get ahead on. So, so what's going on with that? I mean, there's a few reasons for that. Number one, we simply have more to do. I mean, we are required in almost every household to be the administrator of the household. And at work, we're way more likely to be required to be the administrator at work, even if we're not in that position. In other words, we're the one that needs to keep track of whether this is the, what is the good coffee that everybody likes, right? Who, when is everybody's birthday and what are we doing for that birthday and who's going to go buy the card and then pass it around the entire office so everybody signs? Oh, wait, who's going to notice that the CEO didn't sign and then walk it up to probably his office and get his signature? So, yes, we have more to do. But also we have been, you know, the, the silent revolution when women flooded into workplaces was what, the 1970s? So we really haven't been in workplaces, office spaces for really all that long. And we are still called upon to justify our presence there and prove that we deserve it and prove that we earned it. So there's this extra pressure on us that's real in that, yes, it you have to really achieve to get ahead as a female, whereas that's not always the case with, with men. I'm, I'm not talking about race here. I'm just talking about gender. And then there's also our perception that we have that we need to constantly prove that we're hard workers. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Um, <laughs> we we're, we're good, productive people. You, yeah. you know that. But, you know, one, one thing you talk about is that one way to feel less busy is to take up a hobby, hobby that requires a lot of time. Now, this seems like it'd be a bit of a paradox here, because here I'm feeling so busy. And Celeste is telling me, no, go take up woodworking or something along those lines. So why is that going to make me feel less busy? Oftentimes, hobbies that take a lot of time are slow, right? So woodworking is slow. And so just forcing yourself to slow down like that, that has shown to reap a huge amount of benefits every time that they've, they've studied it. When they force people to slow down, it actually lowers your heart rate. I mean, that makes perfect sense when you hear it, but we don't think about it that way. It lowers your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone. And when you are even think that you are rushed for time, it has a bunch of negative effects. Even if you're not rushed for time, but you believe that you are, it's going to have negative impacts on your, your decision-making because your amygdala takes over, right? Your fight or flight brain, um, which means you probably will make worse decisions, which means there's going to be more errors and it becomes this repeating cycle. So taking up a hobby that takes a lot of time breaks you out of that cycle. It, it takes you off the treadmill. And oftentimes a hobby that takes a lot of time is one that you're not going to be great at when you start it. 
And I totally support that. I want everyone to take up something that they suck at at first, because this idea that everything that you do has to be, you have to be great at it. It has to be Pinterest worthy. And, you know, you have to be able to photograph it and put it on Instagram or else you're going to end up on that show, nailed it so they can make fun of you. Like, (laughs) it is okay to suck at something at first. Some of the most uh, valuable skills there are, are hard to learn. I see a music stand in the background, so you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're, we're into music over here. I'm trying to teach my children that, that you are not good or bad at it. You just haven't spent much time on it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And if you do, you will, in fact, get better. So I, I think some people, you know, the, the title of your book is Do Nothing, yeah. um, which maybe a lot of people may have a slightly negative reaction to that <laughs> idea. Like, what am I supposed to do nothing? Why, how can I do nothing? Um, but what's the difference between idleness and laziness? Because you are not, in fact, advocating laziness. And anyone who knows Celeste or her <laughs> career knows that, that there's not a whole lot of laziness involved in this. So what is the difference between idleness and laziness? And I find it ironic, even with myself, that when I very first began, began to consider idleness, I also immediately connected it to laziness. They're not the same thing. Laziness is the is the resistance to doing anything, right? It's the it's the resistance to doing work. Idleness just means that you're not active, physically active at that time. Your brain is always active. So we're never talking about mental inactivity. But, uh, you know, it, it's not, being idle is not the same as not working, for example, right? A fisherman is idle while they're working and possibly active when they're not working. So we have to decouple this idea of idleness and and activity from work. They're not the same. And the reason I say that you have to decouple them is because if you think that idleness is the same as laziness, it's going to give you feelings of guilt whenever you stop being active. And I want to make everyone free from guilt (laughs) because of inactivity. (laughs) I want people to be able to sit on their front porch for a half hour and just sit and watch the world go by and feel zero guilt about that. Because oddly enough, that time that you spend sitting on your front porch watching birds is very productive time. Because what's going on in your brain then? And, and why does your brain need that, that time? Right, because the human brain it doesn't persist, it pulses. It pulses between activity and idleness, uh, leisure, I should say. And your brain, a human brain, needs to be able to not be directed in order to be creative and innovative, right? So we have two, I'm going to very much dumb down neuroscience here. <laughs> but, you know, there's, in essence, there's kind of two forms of thinking, right? There's your analytical brain and there's your insightful brain. And your analytical brain, if you're thinking, okay, if I drive the speed limit of 65 miles an hour, how long is it going to take me to get to my parents' house for Thanksgiving? That's an analytical brain problem. Obviously, there's a persistent history of racism and discrimination in our society. How do we solve that at my own company? That is an insightful brain problem. And if you bring your analytical brain to it, you're going to end up making some of the goofs and gaffes and horrible mistakes that people have made in the past, which means you have to allow your brain to click into its deep thinking. You have to let it go into default thinking mode. Default thinking mode only occurs when the brain is not directed. 
So if you're sitting there folding laundry, it's a good chance that as long as you're not trying to multitask and you're also listening to a historic podcast or also on a conference call, your brain will start to wander. It will start to sift through the memories and information that you've taken in recently, it will begin to make unexpected connections because you're not forcing it to focus on a task. And so it's just going to, the librarian is just going to wander through the stacks and sort of pull books out at random and come up with new ideas and new innovations and creative thoughts. And we need that. Like literally that kind of creative thought is one of the things that distinguish Homo sapiens from other species. Like that's literally part of our humanity. And yet at this point in time, when we're not allowing ourselves to ever be unfocused, when we require ourselves to be working on something productive and efficient, something we can check off our checklist at all times, to my mind, losing some of our humanity because we're losing some of the best thought we have. So what do you like to do when you're being idle and get your good thoughts? I mean, there's lots of things I like to do. I, I do um, embroidery, cross-stitch, um, which requires, I have I have adult ADD, so I need to like something that's very sort of um, requires a lot of focus because that'll switch, take, it requires a whole half of my brain. And then the other half gets to <laughs> wander around and have a good time. So I really like to do embroidery. I like to do, I've been learning lettering. Yeah, lettering where you get the little practice books and yeah. Is that like calligraphy or is that? Yeah, although, uh, yes, I mean, in okay. essence, but there's other, you know, lettering also refers to like block letters and, okay. you know, you know, all the kinds of pretty lettering that I like to do. Typographic fun. <laughs> I, I never claim to not be a nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, and I, and I, <laughs> those of us who spend our lives reading research studies, Laura, <laughs> come on. <laughs> We're kind I'm, of, I'm right there with you. We're kind of dorked. <laughs> <laughs> so I like opera too. I'll, I'll confess as well. So so there you go. And I grow my own plants. And, you know, it takes me a cup. I have so many plants. It takes me a couple hours to water them on all and tend to them all every Saturday. And, you know, I have a, I don't know if you can see that. I'm, I'm getting a video tour here for our listeners. I'm getting a video there's tour my, of my, my moss garden. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So, you know. Stuff that is time-consuming, but pulls my focus and yet allows my mind to wander. So that's our takeaway from this episode, listeners, is that you need a moss garden. And (laughs) (laughs) it it will change your life, right, Celeste? (laughs) Clean your air also. Clean your air. (laughs) Also, Also good. So Sarah and I tend to like to do a love of the week, um, which is something that is fun for us that we're enjoying this week. It could be your moss garden. It could be <laughs> something else along those lines. Uh, what, what, what's really exciting for you right now? Um, what's really exciting for me right now? Actually, I found like my perfect breakfast. Ooh, I don't know nice. if this. I don't know if this counts, but okay. I found this recipe, which is like one chicken apple sausage link, and then you okay. saute it with a cut up half of a cut up Granny Apple, Granny Smith apple, and then you toss in some cooked sweet potato and like a teaspoon of thyme. And you just saute it all up. And it is like the best breakfast I've ever had. It is phenomenal. <laughs> I will have to try that. The teaspoon of, I'm sure it's the teaspoon of time. That's like the, and I want to call something a teaspoon of time, but with a different 
spelling of time. Yeah, there I think you that go. would be that would be great. Um, so I'll say mine is that we're we're going strawberry picking. I, I was Ooh. worried we would not be able to. This this is airing in late June, so the strawberry season will be over, but we're recording in early June. I, I, we still have, you know, we had the stay at home order through much mm-hmm. of strawberry season, but it was lifted in time to still go do it. Yay. So I'm, I'm very excited. Something my kids always Berry like picking. Yeah. Berry picking. Do you it's cook good. stuff? It's- do you just eat the strawberries raw or do you put them in things? Both. Um, usually we, we have, a I have a lot of children, so there's a lot of strawberries that usually come home from these expeditions. Um, so there's enough to eat. And then you know, we tend to make strawberry shortcake and, mm. um, you know, I probably most of them get eaten in that form, uh, <laughs> you know, but we, there's been strawberry syrup. The kids learned to cook down to make a, a strawberry syrup. That was, that was kind of, that's a, a great time consuming hobby. Yeah. It is a time consuming hobby. <laughs> yeah. We are all about trying to fill time <laughs> right now, <laughs> which you, you, are, are you still quarantined with your son or is that, uh, he, he went home about went home. Uh, okay. two and a half weeks ago. He has been Again, we're recording in early June. He has been protesting mm-hmm. in Atlanta. So, yeah, he went home and and I am an empty nester for just a little bit longer before my house guest comes back. And I know you're not there, so I, I, I hate to praise my time spent alone in the house too much. <laughs> do that well, to you, you but know, boy is it nice <laughs> yeah yeah you know he's off doing good things so yes. it's all good all good yeah all right well celeste thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it my pleasure thanks for having me all right well that was a fun interview and um so now to the q the question part of this episode shall i read it sarah okay sure go for it all right so this well this was sent in to sarah but Can you speak to giving feedback to household employees, such as nannies and housekeepers? I find this is difficult because these people are involved in such personal parts of our lives. Uh, This particular reader or listener was a two-physician household with three kids, one of whom has special needs, um, and so they need quite a bit of help um, in their lives. And she says she feels grateful, obviously, for the help, and on the other hand, feels resentful because she's paying a lot of money, and if things aren't going as she'd like them to go, then she's not, not happy in this She says it may be difficult for her personality as she tends to avoid conflict. So any suggestions? So I think it's, first of all, I think you're right to think about this. um, And I don't think avoiding is a viable permanent solution because the things that are going to go on in your house are going to affect your life on a very daily basis. So I do think that kind of like gritting your teeth and bearing it is probably not the right answer. Although not knowing exactly what you're focusing on, it is it is hard to know. I would say, I mean, we definitely provide feedback, but you have to also make sure that you are A, being realistic, and B, showing appreciation for what that person probably is doing for you. So even if there are a few things that are not going perfectly, there are probably many things that are going well. And I do think sometimes we don't take enough time to tell people when things are going well. So make sure when you do sit down with them, talk about all the things that are working about the relationship. I mean, obviously, there's some things because the person's still here. And then maybe kind of instead of saying this isn't working, delve into how it's affecting you. Say like, this is something that I've been noticing that's bothering me. What do you think about this? And that way, instead of being like, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, because there may be a reason why they can't, you're kind of inviting a conversation about the area where there is some difficulty. 
and like kind of ask for their input on whether it might be realistic to make a change. Um, Cause again, I have like, this is hard cause I don't know the specifics and that's okay. I, I understand why you wouldn't want to share them. But for example, I've heard of some people getting frustrated with au pairs getting burned out when they're caring for four kids at home all day by themselves or something. And it's like, well, that is really hard. Like, you know, so you do have to just stop and make sure that what you are asking is realistic. Like, would you be able to do that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. But I think one of the things, you know, you said sit down to talk about stuff. I mean, one of the things I have taken away from management writing over the years is that as much as possible, if things are only in a sit down conversation, it becomes this source of anxiety for both parties. Like, oh my God, why do I have to sit down with my boss on Thursday? Like, what what does she want to know? And so as much as it can just be normalized, like that, you know, feedback is feedback. Like we're going to talk about everything. Um, then, then any given bit of it is not that fraught a situation. And so if you haven't been in that habit, and it kind of sounds like she hasn't, then you probably want to start with good stuff. Like just for a week, like make sure you say three things every day that you liked, you know, that was great. Like, and just, you know, as you're having these conversations, do that. And then, you know, once that's become a habit, then you can start working in stuff that like, oh, do you think you could try this? Or, you know, I've had this issue. I wonder what you could do about it. And and then, as Sarah said, inviting a conversation. So it's it's that it becomes more normalized and it's not such a big deal because it shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, that's part of, you know, I mean, this person is a physician. I'm sure if, you know, she was doing a procedure with a physician assistant and something seemed a little off, she'd probably mention it. It wouldn't be a big deal. They'd work together to fix it. Like, I mean, it's, it can be the exact same thing. Love it. All right. I'm pretty sure that Celeste and I did a love of the week. I mean, maybe I'll listen to this and be like, whoa, wait, we didn't. But Sarah, what's yours? <laughs> Since I was not in that conversation, and I cannot wait to listen to it, by the way, I will add my love of the week, which is my new Archer and Olive notebook that I'm using as a bullet journal that I mentioned in the opener, because I love that thing. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, episode 152. I've been interviewing Celeste Headley about her new book, Do Nothing. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.